Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another Gaudi Mitzbez 22 YouTube video and Podbean podcast for my blog, GaudiMitzbez.com. This is part two of a conversation I had about, I guess, three weeks ago now, maybe a month. I lose track of time. I've been on various trips and so on. Uh, And so here's part two. It's with Connor Cunningham, Adrian Walker, Rodney Hauser. No need to reintroduce everybody. Uh, We're discussing this thing this essentialized thing that everybody thinks they know what it is, um, modern science. Uh, and we have uh, the expert here on this topic, Connor Cunningham. Uh, we wanted uh, we ended last time. We wanted to discuss a little bit the uh, the question of the role of science in the modern university. But before we do that, my colleague, my former colleague, uh, my friend Rodney Hauser emailed me to say, hey, chap, should I do a little intro for you today, summarizing what we said last time? And I Great. said, yeah, that would be wonderful because I need a refresher, too. So go ahead, Rodney. Thanks, chap. Um, and uh, thanks to Connor and Adrian uh, for being here again. That was a uh, really, yeah. really interesting uh, conversation last time. I, I it's hard to tell sometimes when you're in the middle of the thing how it's going, but uh, I rewatched it uh, and uh, it, it was actually really, really uh, rousing stuff. And, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but on my end, as the host of this, I got tons and tons of really positive feedback. So that's good. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, but I always learn an enormous amount from both of you. Uh, uh, and uh, and that 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 was the same, you know, this last discussion. It's it's such a kind of refreshing thing to hear you guys sort of turn everything on its head and then realize that that's actually the right way up. Uh, so so it's a, so it's a, so that's that's a, that's always bracing and, and a good thing. So I thought maybe what I would do just to, uh, you know, help the viewers out a little bit, maybe they didn't see the last one or who have forgotten kind of what we were did. I just hit some of the highlights that I picked up from the last thing. And if I botch this a little bit because I'm not the origin of these things, uh, you guys can uh, correct me and censor me. Or the Oracle. I'm going to confession after the <laughs> house, so it'll give me just more things that I have to tell the priest. So, um, but at any rate, uh, we began by really just calling into question the entire uh, typical science and religion dialogue sort of model, which already seems to presuppose a kind of caricature uh, or um, um, a simulacrum, I think as uh, Connor called it, of, of both science and theology. Um, and, and kind of I think what happens if, if I'm if I'm correct about this is that we have this uh, this modern sort of common person's notion of science is this very rarefied thing that has this extremely unified method and it kind of always works magic and gets right down to the bottom of things without any mysterious <laughs> leftover or anything like that. And then on the other hand, uh, religion has become strange as science has become bigger and bigger and able to deal with more and more, of course, religion and theology's territory gets littler and littler and theology becomes kind of about like private beliefs of people who still need assurance that, you know, death is not the end or something like that. So, but if you think about it, and and this is something that came out in something you did in another video that I watched, uh, Connor, an interview recently about nihilism and evolution, I believe, or something, Darwin and nihilism or whatever. Um, I mean, theology is it originally is just simply a part of philosophy. It's it's you know it, it, you call the high, highest part uh, of what uh, Aristotle is eventually going to call first philosophy, right? So it's not uh, this rarefied little subjective thing that only deals with um, supernatural stuff that nobody can see, but it has a definitely a rational element to it. And up until very recently, as Connor pointed out last episode. 
science has been called part of the natural philosophy, which obviously has a larger interest than simply, uh, you know, mechanical objects moving in merely material objects sort of moving in space. And I think that was really the thing that got us off the ground uh, and got the conversation going. Uh, and then there's just a couple of other highlights that I thought were were quite interesting. Um, and this is, again, this is kind of a part of uh, Connor's uh, um, central point going all the way back to the book on Darwin, which I read many, many years ago now and forgot probably more than I learned from it, but I learned a lot. And that is that one of the flaws of the stereotypical understanding of modern science is that we're always trying to get down to some base that is beyond anything mysterious or thing-like you know there's just just the the stuff that you know kind of that everything else emerges out of all the spooky stuff emerges out of this bedrock stuff but the problem of course is when real science actually starts looking at that bedrock stuff it's pretty sexy it's it, it turns out not to be the boring merely material merely mechanistic uh matter that you know thing. i remember uh the late david l schindler used to always say show me a piece of matter you know <laughs> and then and then that's a point well taken you know that, that there's even matter is way more interesting than than we could possibly that was a have. pretty good imitation of david l schindler by the way thank you i appreciate and that you can't, and you can't point to matter a piece of matter you can't point to matter yeah. that's exactly that's exactly right it's always formed to some degree it's always you know in act yeah. it's Et cetera, right. So, yeah. and, and then a kind of final point that I think Adrian uh, really uh, brought into the discussion too is just the reminder that God has, from the outset, had something to do with the physical world, uh, <laughs> so, right? <laughs> which, which, which it sounds like such a no-brainer, but I, I really think it's, it's this is something that people don't realize, you know. And and so what we end up doing is we think of miracles, for instance, as these kind of free radicals that just occur out of time just out of space and outside of space and time and have nothing to do with anything you know sort of like magic but in fact as adrian and connor both pointed out all of the miracles in scripture actually begin with real stuff you know the multiplication of the bread and loaves is the multiplication of bread and loaves and jesus walking on water is jesus walking on water you know and and, and that kind of stuff so those are just three kind of i think central points that came out of the last thing that that uh that were especially interesting to me might be interesting to our viewers and might get us launched off on the second part. So I'll shut up and let you all say. I, I would like before uh, Connor or Adrian chime in to add to that, which is yeah. that's a great summary. But also, I think it's important to, to mention as a jumping off point for some conversation today that we were sort of all agreed that modern science in its various disciplines, especially, say, physics and evolutionary biology is in a state of crisis right now because none, none of the standard models really hold up and, and very few of them actually work and actually working scientists, very few, most of them understand this and they're, they're kind of in a mad panic over it. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think that that's important, but anyway, uh, does, do, do our two August guests want to chime in with anything to get us started here, either Connor or Adrian? Uh, can I just say something with the word crisis there, which yes. Adrian and I have talked about elsewhere, um, when it goes back to uh, uh, Hippocrates, that, you know, I know in Greek it can mean a, couple, a few different things, but one of the points of crisis, remember this, Adrian, that uh, it can either mean, you know, um, it can also mean the turning point of a disease towards right. health. So crisis right. is, in the Hippoc Hippocratic sense, uh, an opportunity, and this is very much what I see, 
So I don't see the crises in evolutionary models or physics models or or chemistry. I don't I don't see that necessarily as something to be uh, right. yabu. But rather, it's the opportunity to come to one's senses and use right. what's being discovered and direct it in a more in a manner which is more well adequate, truthful, and flourishing, rather than doubling down on a failed paradigm. So crisis is there an opportunity for the turning point of disease, its diagnosis, and a turning point. Sorry, it's a yeah. both positive and opportunity. And it's, and, it's, and it's a decisional moment, a decisional moment yes, that requires okay. honesty. Adrian? Uh, I don't have a ton to add at the moment, um, okay. but I will just say one thing that occurred to me when uh, Rodney was talking about uh, the the pertinence of God to the physical world. Um, and that is that uh, th there are actually two sort of movements of thought here. One is, you know, the recognition that God is pertinent to the physical world and also sort of on the other side and from the other direction, the recognition that the physical world is pertinent to God. Um, you know, so that, uh, um, you know, to, to be present to, uh, things, even corporeal things, um, as they really are, uh, is already, you know, implicitly to be in the presence of God, not, not only because God is, uh, sustaining them in being, you know, from their inmost core, um, from moment to moment, but also because uh, the physical things are 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 symbolic of divinity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so and so there, there's uh, um, so that so I guess one implication of what I'm saying is that uh, you know there there's a kind of um, there is a sort of fidelity to the earth, so to speak, um, that uh, is very important. And that very fidelity to sort of the earth, as it were, you know, in its in its actual reality is is theologically significant, is pertinent to God. I mean, and helps us figure out what the word God means, right? And it's it's not an accident that you know, scripture is, uh, you know, the, the symbolic cosmos of scripture, you know, really draws yeah. on the symbolic yeah. cosmos of, of the world, you know. The symbolic and sacramental nature of the cosmos, for sure. And I think that's a really important point, an important question. Yeah. Because there's obviously there's some reason why God created matter. Uh, and and it has there have to be analogs to divine perfections. Right. Uh, in, in, in the created order. Uh, otherwise, I mean, the question then would naturally arise, why matter at all then? W if, if matter represents right. a competitive principle to that of divinity and spirit, uh, and, and it, then you have right. to fall back into some sort of notion of, of our souls and you know, soma sema, that the body is a tomb for the soul and these kinds of things. And then you have a hard time explaining why in the heck uh, we spend 70 some odd years in this ridiculous shell of a body only to shed it and fly off like Tinkerbell into spirit land. Uh, there, there, there's, there's got to be a deeper theological and metaphysical rationale for corporeality, yeah. for materiality yeah. in, in our doctrine of yeah. creation. Connor. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just think we've got to be careful because I, I, first of all, uh, two tiny little things. It, it's interesting when um, Rodney talks about the word, we have to get rid of the word merely and just, as you said before, and and, the and we talked about. Also even, Adrian went, and even the corporeal. We need to get rid of the even. Of course the corporeal will have something pertinent to do with God. And it comes back then to Larry's point. I think we've got to tread carefully there, saying God created matter. I don't think matter exists in the, those terms. Excellent so point. I, I really yes. Think and it never did for Aquinas. And and um, and in fact, we're, we're, we, sorry, you're going to say something, Larry, there. No, no, I was just wanting to say, I think if I had elaborated further, I was going to say something similar to what you're saying. So please go on. Please elaborate yeah. on this point. I mean, that's really, I, and if anything, I mean, there are lots of things we can always point to and think this was a bad move. And <laughs> I think probably for me, the, the most significant culturally has been the fiction of matter. I mean, I, I, as a something. And that has been right. a great disaster, if you like, as Plato would call it. That he uses this word disaster very particularly, and which is beautiful the way he uses it. But anyway, without a proper measure, you end up in disaster, he, he calls it. Yeah. Due measure and proper proportional, whatever. And matter just simply does not. I mean, I love the way even, even um, the guy up in, what's his name, the, the tombist up in uh, CUA, up in um, Catholic University, John Whipple. Uh, not right. That's not his name yet. Yeah. He says, yeah. you know, that even Aquinas is saying that, 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 you know, that matter isn't an, something individual, it's probably his finest metaphysical point. And I agree with him on that. In fact, it was the person who really did this. It wasn't later on we talked about Scotus and Ockham and so forth, yet they were also guilty of that, as was Henry of Ghent. But really, it was Avarice was the first person to do this, where he posited something called celestial matter as opposed to, opposed to terrestrial. And, and even when you were dead, the soul was dragged by celestial matter. But Avarice, the commentator, posited celestial matter as being wholly independent of God. So this was the first anticipation of matter being as something separate. Therefore, we've been asked the question, what's matter got to do with God? Because we're presuming implicitly our premises that it is something self-givenly, uh, independent, autonomous, self-explanatory, and therefore we have to have an extrinsic explanation for it. Whereas I don't think, and this is what this is what really Aquinas' huge battle was in Paris and elsewhere, was the denial of multiple forms. Yeah, there's only one substantial form of the body for anybody. Uh, and this was, and also to deny matter having its own form. That was really the dividing point. All the Porsche people in Paris thought he was nuts. Of course, matter has its own form. And he went, no. And that, and it's that move, that's the precipice of modernity, to posit that matter can exist in itself, that it is a self-contained concept, a self-explanatory concept, an autonomous thing. It simply doesn't exist. And that's why uh, Aquinas resisted so um, um, heroically, actually. And that's why I tell students, you know, he's a punk, and everyone thinks he's this dusty old Catholic <laughs> saint. Actually, he was a punk fighting the posh Parisian people who seemed to be the de rigueur scientists of their day. And he went, no, science, a matter does not have its own form, and regarding bodies, it's only one form, one substantial form. I don't mean accidental forms in that sense. I mean substantial forms, yeah. Does that make sense? I think that's the dividing prep. I think we go, that's the turning, that's the fork in the road. We either think that matter is a principle, a metaphysical principle, I mean, and then all that comes with that, right up to people like Haman, who, who sees creation as the words of God, spoken by God. Or we go the other fork in the road, and we think matter is something autarkical and self-given and almost obvious. And then we have to lapse into the, 
it's merely matter or even the corporeal, because we've already started the, with the presupposition that it is cogently considerable separate from uh, divine being. Does that make sense? No, it makes beautiful sense. And I agree with it completely. Hauser, do you have anything you want to add to that? You, you look like maybe you do. If you don't, that's fine. I, I have another question. I had a question, that, to, to, just a kind of now a technical, uh, and, and, and I'd say let's not maybe take over this too long, but just, I mean, is this what the Neoplatonists, so to speak, are getting at when they refer to matter as being almost nothing? Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost nothing on its own, right? It can't, on its own, it's it's literally almost nothing, right? It's, yeah. Yes, but, but, but it also ties in with what Walker said last time when he's talking about the receptacle, for example. Do you remember this, Adrian? You were talking about the mm. receptacle. And so, so but the it, it's, yeah, matter is nude. There's actually a, 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 in Latin, and so there's, it's, it's nude, yeah? It, it is not something. But in so being, it's really strange. Aquinas does this really weird move. So on the one hand, it looks like you're denigrating matter by stripping it of, of, of any uh, somethingness of its own. Yet, but Aquinas makes the double move of going, yeah, we're going to bring it right down to being no thing. Yet, what he compares the soul with of the human is with uh, analogous, he says, to matter. Because it has the capacity for everything. Yeah, the capacity even for God, the capex day and all that. The capacity for everything, I stick with that. So too does matter have the capacity okay. for everything because precisely it isn't something. And what does he say about the soul? When he talks about the soul being tabula rasa, he's not being a glock, right? We tend to get that out of the way. It's like matter in it. It isn't colored, so we can see color. It isn't. It doesn't have an organ, so we can see many different things. So he strips the soul of actually somethingness. It's a verb. It's the act of being. It's the provision of form. the substantial form of the body. So in a way, it comes full circle, the nudity of matter and the nudity of soul. And then they have capacity for everything. So it's a complement, not a denigration. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I'm a former student of, of ours, friend of Rodney's, I mean, friend of Adrian's, uh, Rachel Coleman, who now teaches up in Massachusetts. She had an article in Comunio that sort of dealt with this issue of the nothingness of matter. I don't know if you had that in mind, Rodney, when you were asking the question, or if you read Rachel's, but she was basically expositing Ferdinand Ulrich uh, on this very topic of the nothingness of matter. And I think Ulrich is, you know, Maybe Adrian could speak to this a little more in depth uh, than, than I can. I'm completely out of my depth when I talk about Ulrich. But I think that we're onto something very important here when we're talking about the nothingness of matter. Connor has gotten us this very profound understanding, I think, of Aquinas here. A Adrian, do you have any do you have if you don't, it's fine. I don't want to put you on the spot with regard to Ulrich. Um, well, Yes. Yeah, so, so Rachel's sort of thesis is that, uh, you know, matter is an, is an image of the good. Right. And, and, uh, um, you know, so the, the, the good is sort of super substantial and the matter is sort of infra substantial. Um, it's sort of, so the good escapes form from above and the, matter escapes form from below, but they, there's a kind of imaging of the, of what escapes mat of form from above by what escapes it from below. And the kind of along the lines that Connor was saying, um, I mean, yeah. uh, and, uh, I mean, and then of course, Ulrich, I mean, what I just said is a kind of, yeah, as a sort of Neoplatonic way of putting it, but, um, 
I think what what Ulrich does is is try to kind of refashion that uh, sort of Neoplatonic vision into sort of uh, you know terms of the actus ascendi and its non subsistence and um, how the non subsistence of the actus ascendi sort of reveals this kind of supra formal plenitude, but then um, there's something about the reception of that superformal plenitude, not only by you know creatures okay. in general, but yeah. but by bodily creatures, um, that um, you know in its very receptivity, sort of has a kind of direct pipeline to that kind of superformal plenitude, right? And and so and so Rachel's kind of following out the 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 kind yeah. of Ulrichian yeah. account of that and sort of developing it also in her own in her own way something like that it, yeah it's a brilliant um, article and can I anyway just, yeah yeah well yeah so so uh yeah so just so yeah I'm, I'm uh, just I'm so tired this morning. I'm having trouble pulling things together but the but the there's something about um this idea of of the receptacle um which is 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 important to kind of tease out because it it uh it sort of represents a a a point of you know of where a discernment is necessary right because um you know the the idea of of matter as a thing, which is just sort of at the at the bottom of yeah, uh, yeah. the real or the back of the real um, on which everything is built, right? That's that's what we're we're criticizing that and saying that that doesn't really work. Um, and it's absolutely true, right? That you know matter sort of taken by itself uh, isn't a thing. Um, it's you know there's something yeah. almost ineffable about it. Okay. Which is, are but, we not discovering uh, that? Yes. Right. But, but, the, but, the, but the other side of it is that um, it's sort of like um, there's a kind of the, the receptacle, I, I think like in the Timaeus also functions as a kind of hypothetically necessary condition of the, of the, 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 the donative, activity of the good yeah uh, and and that's the other side of it so um and that that's i think also something that may, maybe rachel is getting at in her in her work right that there, there's a kind of yeah um so which again you know and this is a, a thought that ulrich develops in all kinds of different ways but that that uh you know part of the giving of the part of the goods donation uh is to give itself um, a kind of receptive presupposition of its own giving. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. so that there, there's something about the sort of, there's something about the receptivity that's, that's represent, you know, of, of this principle that, you know, played yeah. the receptacle that, that, that does have of, your sound is kind of breaking up. It Adrian. does ha have the character of a. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, that's probably a sign that I should stop talking. Well, no, no, I, I wasn't trying to get you to stop talking, but it's just that I just wanted you to know that, yeah, your sound is kind of breaking up just a little bit. You sound like you're coming from the space station or something. So that's kind of cool. It's giving you an ethereal I I, quality. I am. It's space station, California, man. When we come to universities, I'm going to absolutely lambast California in a second. But just on that receptacle thing, we mustn't have that notion. I mean, this is Adrian's point, but necessity comes in that in the, it's not, we mustn't understand it in, in the dualism of passive and active. It's not like that because, again, for Aquinas and, and Plato, um, I mean, Aquinas has a beautiful, there's a lovely Latin phrase, I can't remember what it is now, but, but matter desires, it's an erotic relationship with form. It desires form. It seeks it out. So it's not yes. just some sort of, you know, no. it's not just like when you put your, put your, you know, happy birthday into it, you know, what are those things? Yeah, you know, stick it in and they always <laughs> do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and, and the receptacle, the, the in other words, the point about the receptacle is that it it's the the, the receptacle enables that right it, it enables um you know again just just i'm just kind of glossing the timaeus here right that some of the passages in which plato talks about or you know um P plato talks about the the receptacle in the timaeus that it it enables things to participate in forms um but that that means that that um on the one hand there is a kind of it is a kind of hypothetically necessary condition but on the other hand um it it participates in the way that the good gives being provides being um but by, by enabling well uh, things Adrian, to receive it um okay. to receive being to bring their very receptivity yeah, you, I, you, I, this isn't, I don't, it's working. Yeah. Yeah, your, your sound is really getting, getting kind of bad. Adrian, I think your sound was better on the other connection. Your video was worse. <laughs> yeah. Your sound was better on the other connection. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. Okay. That. Yeah, I'll try. Um, try something else here. And you're much because more interesting to hear than to look at Adrian anyhow. So it's kind of that's right. <laughs> well, now his video froze. But anyway, let's let, while Adrian is figuring that out, let's move on. I do want to move on to the the, the sort of the role the role of uh, science in in the modern university. And, that, and we'll, how's that we'll be, now? It sounds good. Sounds good. We're moving on now okay. to the question of the the role of science in the modern university. Did, I mean, uh, I did did, did did enough of what I say come through. I think so. It was a bit broken up. I don't know what it was for the other two guys, but for me, it, it was broken up. I was having a hard time following you. Okay. Uh, can, can I just sort of bring it to the point and then we can. We sure. Can move absolutely. On. Absolutely. I, Go I, ahead. I do think it's important to. So in other words. Um, yeah, that right. The, 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 the receptacle um, enables things to participate. Um, and it does that, you could say, by enabling them to receive something. Um, yeah. But of course, that also means that it is their receptivity, right? 
And and the, my, my point be, my point is that that in being this kind of enabling receptivity, um, it actually already images the goodness of the good. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that that so now again this is where it gets you have to make a discernment because it doesn't mean this doesn't mean that the receptacle is this kind of um thing like it's it's not a passive thing like entity that's just sort of there um and that that the creator or the dem or the good has to kind of reckon with um because that, that yeah. would just be the myth of the base all over again um but but it but it it does um it 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 and, and that's why Plato says you know it's not even the elements the elements are downstream right yeah but yeah. but it, it does mean that that um you know in in order to um sort of in order to 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 receive you know um uh things things do have to um receive according to certain conditions right yeah um, and and so everything is going to be made of elements somehow right or or they're going to be discernible in things right um that right. there it's 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 going to be it's going to be possible to you know talk about i mean however confused the language is and so forth you know it's going to be possible to talk about you know laws of nature and so forth in other words you know patterns that that seem to hold across different kinds of of things right and where does that all come from right i mean to to a large extent sure it's it's a there's a there's something constructed about all of that but the point is that that you know embodiment you know receiving being in bodily form um even though the sort of principle of that receptivity is not a body it's not a thing it's 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 not it's not even it's not a thing like entity not, nonetheless it sort of comes with subjection to certain conditions yeah you know and it seems to me that like a lot of what what we call modern science is doing is sort of exploring those conditions um with with a, a great deal of lack of self-knowledge that leads to all kinds of false reifications and 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 sort of unnecessary problems that need to be sort of therapized out of existence granted but there yeah. is something there. That's 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 what I would say. I don't know if that well, that's sense. great. No, it makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad your sound came back and you were because now it's fine. It's absolutely perfect. And that you were able to complete your point because it's a beautiful segue into what I wanted to talk about next, well, which was Con looks like Connor had. Uh, sorry to go. Oh, no, no, absolutely. If Connor wants to say something, go ahead, Connor. I think this is to sort of supplement what Adrian said last time and to what he just said now about if you go back in history, there were people within the guild who were signed, you know, signs that were outside the Baconian paradigm, right. which is a failed paradigm because it right. was uh, it was self deluded. But I think I think, and again, back to the crisis, it can be a bad thing or it could be the turning right. point of disease. I think rather than looking for eccentric figures, if you like, right. outside 
the, the, the thing. It's better to look at, remember I said before, look at what's being done, but look at it differently right. than how the practitioners sure. are looking at it. So whilst you can have a pop like, you know, I did last time, it's string theory and so forth and look and gravity and so forth. You can look at it again in a gestalt switch, if you like, and see it as a pursuit of platonic forms, for example. Right. The platonic forms by mineralogists, the crystallization right. and so forth. The strings are like the, are the, almost like platonic forms. You have, you right. know, scale invariance. You have universality across all different material bases. And all this are pushing and pushing and pushing towards a return of, as I said before, bumping into Plato up ahead. So right. we don't necessarily <laughs> for people in the wilderness. We have people in the mainstream, but just look at what they're doing differently in a way different than they are noticing. And they oh. are not noticing because of a post-Reformation myopia or emaciation of the, of the imagination where they sort of think everything's new now and they've missed out a thousand years of... Absolutely. I mean, I even, if I said this last time, I was watching a, a document with my son who sort of does science as a math. And uh, and I, did I mention the two quotes that I put up? Did I mention this last time in the last interview? I don't know. Well, I, I we watched the thing on physics and string three and so forth. But um, uh, And then I put two quotes up. And I said, one of these is a world-famous uh, theoretical physicist, and one of these is Plato. Which one do you think is which? Right. And my son, who does all this, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't discern. Uh, hold on one sec. Yes? I'm in the middle of it. Middle of... <laughs> it's my wife coming in the same time I'm serving her dinner at. Yes? Yes. Off you go. What? I'm in the middle of I, I don't know. Yes. Sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, and I, and I said, which one, which one is this famous uh, um, physicist? Uh, he's a guy called Tehuft from Utrecht. And which one is Plato? Uh, a quote from the Statesman. And he couldn't tell. And nor could I look out looking at the names. Because right. these people are pushing themselves back to Plato. It's so right. funny they're bumping into <laughs> Plato, not being reactionary, going, oh, it's something in the past. But when physics is taking right. itself to the degree, it's going to go lapse into, um, right. it's going to unfold into metaphysics, right. inevitably into a form of platonic right. metaphysics, right. not being silly metaphysics. Yeah. Can I just so say, I just, yeah, I'm so, sorry, Connor. Can I just jump in and say two things? So first, I mean, you could say that the, the eccentric people are the people who have already done the gestalt shift. So it's not that they're, talking about something else they're, they're they're the ones who are doing in a way what you're saying they're they're seeing that something is being revealed here that the sort of standard kind of account is not accounting for um but, but so that's one yeah. thing but then, then the other thing i mean in, in other words it I, I i guess what i what i just to go back to the other point i think this is really important um it's got to be both the case that you know, matter is not this thing, right? Um, it's not the base and all of that. But it's also got to be the case that um, being embodied, right, receiving being in corporeal form uh, comes with um, certain necessary conditions. Because otherwise, which, which necessary conditions take the form of, um, you know, being analyzable however perfectly however imperfectly and however um you know uh 
sort of confusedly, you know, in terms of whatever the latest thing is, you know, whether it's at, whether it's people talking about atoms or people talking about, you know, all of these these kind of, you know, new sorts of structures or or entities, you know, theoretical or otherwise that are that are coming to light. I mean, what why is it that that all bodily things are susceptible of being talked about in that way, right? The false conclusion would be, well, because at the core, they're just a bunch of entities like that, that are the basis of everything else. And so matter is this thing like entity. Um, but, but, but perhaps, perhaps it's something like, um, you know, th there's something about the receptacle or about sort of prime matter that even though it's not a thing or an, or, or a thing like entity, it's not any one of these, these structures or entities or whatever, um, nonetheless, um, when it's, when, when it's, it's sort of mobilized and, and summoned into some kind of visibility by form, um, has all of these structures and entities in them, or at least can be analyzed or talked about in terms of them. I mean, again, however complex that analysis may be in terms of a kind of interplay of the constructed and the, and the, the, the sort of you know, merely potentially present, blah, 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 right? You can make it as complex as you want. But the fact of the matter is like, what, why, why is it that, why is it that material things, not matter as prime matter or the receptacle, but nonetheless material things, um, which, you know, sort of actualize the, the receptacle as it were, or actualize prime matter, why is it that they, why is it that they're susceptible of being discussed in these terms, all of them? Right. That that has to be that has to be explained, it seems to me. I don't know. If, am I making sense? Oh, what you yeah. mean is that there there's an indigenous intelligibility, an irreducible well, indigenous intelligibility, that they're inviting and accommodating such thinking. Is that what you mean? Well, no, what I mean, it's 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 sort of like, in, in other words, it's it's kind of like Aristotle says, you know, if you're going to have a saw, it has to be made out of certain material. Right. So if you're going to have bodies, they're 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 going to have to be constituted in certain ways, um, and the the necessity of that constitution, I think, is rooted somehow in the receptacle or in prime matter, even though the receptacle slash prime matter is not a thing. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's not it's not a a thing. It's not stuff. Et cetera, et cetera. So that that's that's what I'm trying to say. It's like we've we've got to hold on to both of these things here. That on the one hand, matter as such or the receptacle as such is not a thing. It's not even the elements. There's no the, the myth of the base has no leg to stand on. Um, but on the other hand, um, that there's, uh, you know, if things are going to be bodies, if they're if they're going to sort of partake of you know, uh, prime matter or the receptacle, um, you know, by receiving and, and, and holding a certain form, um, they're going to do so constituted necessarily in certain ways, which is why you can have a physics, right? Which, 
um, seems, you know, which can apply to more than just one body or just one one kind of body. But I mean, in, in principle, applies to all bodies, right? Yeah. And and my point is that that the, the problem is that people take that people have typically taken that universal applicability of physics to sort of all bodies abstracting from, you know, sort of the differences that come with substantial form as a proof that there must be that matter must be some kind of base. Yeah. Right. And I'm saying me. no, yeah. but nonetheless, yeah. there is something there, 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 there are sort of necessities that are kind of latent in the receptacle or prime matter that only will kick in, you know, when um, th things, you know, on the basis of. Uh oh, we're losing Adrian again. Probably those necessities actually kick in and actually take and actually and actually have some kind of discernible structure and pattern. This is fascinating. It will, it will happen, right? Yeah, it won't happen with matter by itself, but 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 once form enters the picture, it will happen, and that that's the that's the thing that needs to be looked at. I think. Yeah, very interesting, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. You you cut out for one brief second there, Adrian, but you came back. Well, it looks like he's frozen again. So we're having standby. We're having technical difficulties with Adrian, but anyway, maybe now we can move on uh, to the question of. I'll turn it over to Connor. Connor, what then is the role? I'm going to. What's the role of this thing we call science at a modern university? Well, I think first of all we're going to look at the idea of university. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I said this last time, but it's something that dawned on me that seems to be something that um, it's hidden in plain sight, but people don't notice it. And I, you know, I was saying before that I think that I said last time, but um, you can imagine those people inventing it. In Bologna, all those years ago, a thousand years ago, yeah, and they say we're going to invent this thing. What is this thing? This thing's called a university. To do what? To study the universe. A university to study the universe, and the verse is important there regarding logos, logoi, and and so forth. The universe, university, and so forth. That so, and that means you bring all these disciplines together in modes of scientia, knowledge to lead to sapientia, to the wisdom in some sense. You have a universe you, uh, to uh, to study the, uh, the university to study the, uh, the university, sorry, the universe. And what's happening now to science is because of our attribute imaginations and its cultural positioning, it's come to dominate. And uh, as, it's, uh, as it tries to subsume other disciplines to its base, whatever that base may be. So on the one hand, you have this, fracturing into say the arts and the sciences to begin with yeah and then the sciences are all proud of this because it's a demarcation point where they get kudos they get uh, but then 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 what happens you get your you got your you know uh, biology chemistry and physics and and it's go yeah yeah we'll stop forget religion forget philosophy forget literature forget history forget all this stuff we just need the sciences and they go yeah yeah that's great and then but then the guy to the right, physics goes right. Bye bye biology, bye bye chemistry, and then they become subsumed. Um, as Ernst Rutherford famous saying, "There's only physics; all else is just social work." You know, or was it stamp? Yeah. He was the stamp collector. All else is just stamp collecting, and so there was this dominance amongst the um, in the university where physics, especially high energy physics, as I said before in the previous home, 
was the master discourse. It, was, it, it, it tantalized us, it, it teased us with this notion of a theory of everything, which was going to be a, give us mastery of the universe on this, in the, from within the powers and mandate of this one, one discipline. The one discipline to rule them all. The one, to yeah, to bind and the darkness bind them. Well, I think that is directly pertinent to what 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 Adrian was just talking about. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Adrian. I hope you could. Well, you I were actually all... my, my my connection lapsed anyway. Well, so. I know you froze, and so we moved on. But I want to be sure that you get an opportunity to finish. But anyway, I think it does relate to what you were saying in in the in the sense that there is this perception in the modern university. All right, that that nature is made up of these still th these entities, these these wee beasties, these little things that go all the way down, you know, and, and everything is structured on. And if we could just bust up the atom enough times and, and find the Higgs boson or the Higgs bosons boson or whatever the heck, we finally get down to that God particle that explains, as Connor just said, this this theory of the this area of everything. Anyway, so back to you, Connor. You wanted to say something about that. So. So what you do is you hit, it's the one ring to rule them all. Yes. Yeah? So high energy physics becomes that it, it teases us, seduces us in thinking it's going to get to the bottom of things. Yeah. Right? We'll get to the bottom of things. And then we can wield that in a form of mastery or everything else is subsumed into this one currency. Um, forget biology, but chemistry, psychology, literature, theology, whatever. Uh, and that's a lovely uh, seductive narrative to put that, uh, you know, in, in terms of fast food, in terms of fast thinking, just go, yeah, there's my there's my bulletin. To theory of everything, fund this. We will be, we'll be all powerful uh, as human beings. And the metrics coming with that are easier because they're apparently tangible. We will do, oh, I'll come back to metrics in a sense in a, in a second with university. But let me say about the Higgs boson. It's so funny about that because um, people don't, can I just tell you a little thing on the irony of the God particle, as you rightly say, some people thought it was going to be called the God, God particle, but there's a wonderful irony in that. Because the reason was the God particle was going to provide mass, right? That was the provision of mass. Yeah. But what it's done, I mean, this is absolutely true. It, in, so it was discovered in 2012, yeah, but they knew it was coming. Um, Higgs predicted in 1964 or something like that up in Edinburgh. Uh, but what was really funny about it was, is that there's a wonderful interview in um, the famous journal Science, I think. And um, and it was just, it was in 2009 or 2010. And basically the scientists were absolutely, excuse, you know, excuse, excuse my Latin, crapping themselves because <laughs> when the large hydrogen collider was operational and spent all these Swiss francs, yeah, and and they were going and they what they call themselves it will be a five star nightmare scenario, and here it was going to be in two forms. And here's the irony of the gold particle: on the one hand, they might discover anything when it someone presses the on button, right? So all that billions wasted. On the other hand, and here's the five star scenario that they discover the Higgs, and only the Higgs. And they were absolutely saying they'd prefer to actually discover nothing. Why? Because if you discover the Higgs boson, it could grind particle physics to an end. And that's exactly what happened. And if you even look at the, so it's the God particle, physics came to an end. And I'll explain it. And this is not me. It's there in the literature. If That's why I'm saying you don't need eccentric figures. If you go through it. Absolutely. So these eccentric figures give us an intuition, but they don't necessarily give us the material.
So someone like yeah. Hans Jonas, fantastic for his intuitions, but not necessarily the material. He, it, it's not right. it's not efficient. So, um, so the Higgs boson is a disaster. And if you actually look at when they discover it in, in the in the studio, they're going, woo, woo! But you can see it if you read the room like a poker player with. They're going, ah, oh, bum. Funders going to say, yeah, yeah, we've we found the we find we find the uh, the elusive Higgs gold particle magic. But really, it was God coming back in revenge by saying, by the way, physics, your time is up, because. <laughs> What, what it revealed was that the standard model, there was no B, what's called BSM, beyond, beyond standard model physics, right? They, want, they thought the whole raft of exotic particles, what are called on-shell particles. And, um, but the Higgs rocked up and went, nah, I'm just here on my own, mate. And here's the really scary thing. This sounds technical, but it's not. But before the Higgs boson, you, you had two sort of uh, things. You had um, two types of uh, elementary particle um, um, Adrian was talking about element, elements with elementary particles. And so you had um, sort of half spin fermions, right? So things like, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, um, and then sort of half spin fermions and then one spin bosons, right? So like a photon for a boson. And um, uh, yeah. And then the Higgs rocks up and it's a zero spin. And it means it's scalar. And no other elementary particle is scalar or zero spin, right? And this, this means it's quadratic rather than, it cannot be, it cannot be, it disturbs the force look. It completely throws <laughs> the and shows that standard model is only an effective theory, right? right. It's, it's not real. Right. It's floating like the Greek castle in the sky, just like right. um, anything else. So you have your... Fermions and electrons, these are half spins, and your full spins, your bosons, like your photons. And then the Higgs rocks up and goes, I'm zero spin and I'm quadratic and I'm going to upset the entire thing. Because the, to tame me, because if the Higgs boson is elementary, that means you have to have scalar particles as elementary. And that means they're quadratic, which means they have to be fine tuned to an industrial scale to render them what's called natural. Right? So there's a sheer panic. This is the crisis. And they even think that uh, the Large Hadron Collider, no matter how high, high you even you rejig it and bring the new big high, big massive, massive, massive trillion, trillion, trillion one, you still won't have any any longer any on shell discoveries, i.e., new particles. It'll be off shell discoveries. Events might happen, but no longer will you be able to encase it in a particle. The language of particles has gone beyond its use. Yeah. So that's. Massive crisis. So this thing, one ring to rule them all, just melts in my more in my doom. It, yeah, it's no longer can put a shell on itself. So it's right. actually could the particle physics as we knew it. It's like right. that Star Trek thing, you know, it's life but not as we knew it. It's physics but not as we knew it. Right, and that's why I'm saying it's pushing towards Plato. It's returning to Plato ahead of itself, and right. this is absolutely true. And what it yeah. does is introduce. It, there's a massive other problem with the Higgs. This is why it's the God particles. It, it, it chastises the vanity of physics. It duly chastises it and shows it up to be a wonderfully creative but apophatic, apophatic, right. the scientist apophatic. It is not cataphatic in that sense. It's right. always approaching a receding horizon. Yeah, it's always approaching a receding horizon. It's always apophatic. It tells us wonderful things, accurate things to many, many degrees, but they aren't true. 
if you think you've captured something. Right. And this right. is built in. It's baked, it's baked in. It's yeah. not something experience. It's baked into the actual process. Right. What what one wonderful guy up in Chicago, a guy called Mark Wilson, called physics avoidance, right. where physics to work must avoid itself. <laughs> so its most yeah. successful things are self-consciously inaccurate. Right. And that's the only way you get successful physics. It's actually, and this is the way we've got to think of science, rather than this uh, hegemonic uh, one ring to rule them all, as a proto-art. Right. It's beautiful proto-art, which has given us um, incredible wealth, riches, but they've been put in the wrong bank account. Right. This brings us back to university, where universities become corporate, and then the only metrics they have now is, I mean, my prime minister, only last week, was saying, oh, we have to investigate degrees, make sure not, not any Mickey Mouse degrees. And the metrics, and this is California, uh, the micromanagement through metrics is employability, how long have you taken to get a salary after graduating? So all the way, and what this is, what is really strange about this is that capitalism is malfunctioning because no longer are there, there are no longer entrepreneurs, there are no longer risk takers, everything's risk averse, everything's just simply the automatons of corporatism. There are no ones diagonalizing out and actually saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to think this way. I'm going to think that way. Off-piste, if you like. Um, because they're all seduced to a common denominator. And this is why right. I, the, the joke was that, you know, we were having to take care marking this year because, like you guys, with this chat GPT thing, right, with this artificial intelligence. And I, I, I'd said to, to Rowan Williams and some of my colleagues, I said, you know, I don't I have no idea why everyone's getting fussed about chat GPT. Because it's old news. It's simply showing a mirror to what's already the case. Because our students are automatons anyway. We're not allowed to have discretion any longer how we mark. There's a marking rubric, a, a, a mark, a marking guidance, a scheme, mark schemes, all this rubbish to take all the humanity out of the humanities. Right. And take and dampen all creativity and make everyone automatons only fit for corporate lives. And the corporations, even the big banks, are tick boxing exercises now. They have no risk taking, no entrepreneurship, no creativity. They're risk averse and they're uniform. And our universities, rather than studying the universe, our universities are just becoming a place of uniformity. Right. With baseless lobotomizing metrics. Yeah. Because what they do is they have a false notion of objectivity. They think objectivity can be can be um captured, calibrated put into standardized, rationalized categories. I mean, they're in, I don't know, and this is where we be careful with our language. We talk about the hard sciences, physics versus the soft sciences, say biology or psychology or something. That's rubbish. There is no hard science in the world. They're all right. soft. And the flip side of that is, and be careful we're not seduced, when someone like David Chalmers and Philosophy of Mind took posits in the 97 or whatever it was, 95, 97, the hard problem in Philosophy of Mind, we all go, as opposed to soft problems, we think that's great. And Chalmers was brilliant by doing that and showing that philosophy of mind was talking bunkum. And it could never, and he just won the bet in New York, didn't he, two weeks ago, uh, the 10-year bet with um, the, the new, uh, guy said neurology was sort of solve consciousness. And he got a really expensive case of port, I think, or something. Um, and then reissued the bet for another 10 years or something. And um, <laughs> But but the, the, I remember reading it in the 90s, Chalmers' work, and thinking, this is great. But I remember thinking, there's a bit like the hard sciences, soft sciences. I actually don't think, one, it's a hard problem as opposed to soft problems. I think the soft problems are just as hard. 
they seem to have been solved by ever more refined descriptions, but I still think that there's a lot of hardness right. woven into the philosophy of mind that we think we've solved. Yeah. I think it's right. But anyway, I don't think there are any hard sciences. Um, I think that sci it's, physics has come a cropper. It's going to have to open up into a more metaphysical platonic mode of being. And a university, unfortunately, going to be so many car crashed car crashes until it comes to senses. And I really think this is California's fault. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'm not just saying this because of Walker. I really do. I think that things are invented. In, it's, a, it's a country to itself. I mean, I think the two most malevolent influences in the 20th century in terms of countries is sort of Germany in terms of the First and Second World War and National Socialism and California. Yeah. <laughs> because from the Manson family to micromanagement, uh, it it, it's conjured up there, like, you know, my truth and and uh, whatever. And even the lexicons we adopt start right. in California, jump over the border, infect the rest of America, jump on a boat, come across the Atlantic to Europe, pollute Europe. By the time we've adopted the California policies, they've changed it, and the whole cycle starts over again. <laughs> and the corporation of, corporatization of um, universities was a, an American thing with the micromanagement. I mean, America is one of the most bureaucratic states outside communist countries, so bureaucratic. And we have been bureaucratized because we were we were obsequious to America post-Suez uh, right. crisis. And because we were bankrupt out the first second of the war, then post-Suez crisis, we became obsequious. So we thought, oh, Americans are doing it, we'll do it. And you lot were thinking, well, the Californians are doing it, we better do it. And this went on until this cancer spread. And we lost our universities. We're no longer studying the universe in any symphonic uh, a rigorous, deep, thick manner. It became shallow metrics. Universe became uh, 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 um, the proliferation of uniformity, risk averse. The discretion went out the window. Creativity went out the window. Uh, learning for learning's sake, which actually inculcates people with the ability to create companies, to create uh, new scientific theories, uh, new symphonies, new new projects, new literature, yeah. whatever. We've turned ourselves, ChatGP is a historical thing, telling us what we are already. Right. That, that's my thing about it. Yeah. I also think, uh, you know, when, when history looks back on, the, on this era, uh, mid-20th century through our current time here in the 21st century, what they're going to say when they look at Catholic higher education, Catholic universities, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in the United States, I think this is definitely true, that what we have witnessed in the light of what you've just described, Connor, is the greatest missed opportunity in the history of Catholic education. You know, we could have been the vanguard of, of saying something completely creative, imaginative, earth shattering, revolutionary and, and exposed everything else as the bullshit that it is. And instead, we bought the bullshit too. hook, yep. line and sinker. You were far too Protestant. You had the most golden cultural opportunity and you squandered it. If you'd held fast. They, they would have coalesced, they would have gravitated back to that mode of common sense. Instead, you 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 sup with the devil in a in a Protestant cultural fashion and uh, with the sort of waspish notions of metrics, and and you were no longer really Roman Catholic, uh, with your own curriculum steeped, woven through with metaphysics and adventure and risk. Yeah. Nothing riskier than creation, except for the incarnation, and 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 and, and universities should actually, you know, manifest that manifest that you know no, absolutely. i mean i just uh, 
there was that big law case that was finally um, against Harvard and North Carolina. Did you see that? Where about the um, uh, what's it called? Um, you know, uh, people getting into Harvard. Uh, uh, certain what's it called? Oh, legacy, uh, uh, legacy. It's going to be the legacy one now, but it wasn't legacy. It was to do with uh, um, affirmative action for so Asian well, yeah. and white people right. lost the law case, and now someone's taking it to court now for the legacy cases. Yeah. People in because of family rather than IQ, if you like, or such things as IQ, um, and so forth. So it, it, there was a wasp metaphysic, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant metaphysic, um, in a Weberian sense, um, um, Calvinist in that sense. It really was one big manifestation of the prosperity gospel. It was Calvinism's predestination writ large in educational tertiary institutions. It was already nihilistic, and you guys had the opportunity to 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 be. To hold fast. Yeah, we yeah. sure did, and 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 even amidst uh, some of the so-called uh, Catholic universities that were better than the others in their Catholic identity. I mean, I taught at one at DeSales. Rodney still teaches there. I mean, it was known as well. There's there's a pretty decent Catholic identity there. But what it was was this, and this is so true of so many places that say, "Oh, that's still Catholic." Was that that the the, the the administration of the university simply atomized? the Catholic identity of the school in this tiny thing called the theology department. Meanwhile, the entire rest of the university bought into that waspy Protestant BS notion of modern quantifiable metrics. And, and so every question has to answer a problem that is whose answers are convergent rather than divergent. Uh, and, and, and that then defines the entire university, except for this tiny little dot called the theology department. And Rodney, you want to talk to that a little bit more, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 Connor, you're that's exactly everything you just said is exactly right. I mean, I, I sent a letter, Larry, to the former president, you know, who who tried to maintain Catholic identity by having Orthodox theologians. And then he got me and Larry. But anyhow, um, <laughs> so how that worked out. more than he bargained for. Yeah, exactly. But I, I remember writing a letter at one point saying, you know, Father O'Connor, there's all this desire for people for like old school stuff, like good beer again, you know, versus sort of Miller and, and Bud and and good bourbon made like they used to make it in the 1700s and slow food and, and like real food from the earth and all that stuff. Why don't we start a slow education movement? It's like the most Catholic thing in the world to do. And and I was laughed out of I was laughed out of town. I mean, he was like, "Oh, get in, in touch with the real world." Is, is basically what I got there. And and now what's happening to these little crappy Catholic schools? Uh, you know, God bless DeSales, like DeSales, is is that they're they're going out of business because it's not only bad education; it's a stupid business model. And these little universities that don't have billion dollar, trillion dollar endowments can't keep up with the ones that do. Harvard can afford to be worthless because the endowment's so big. Well, can yeah. I just do two things? First of all, Harvard has more, now more administrators than they do students. So they're right. part of the country. And I don't think anyone there is particularly smart, certainly not in the humanities, but um, decidedly mediocre. And But we, we, we had a joke about Jesus last time, didn't we, of running on water. Let's try another one. So if Jesus rocked up today, he'd never make tenure because he never published, started publishing until he was 30. He just sat there and learned and didn't study, he didn't, didn't produce anything. No miracles, no writings, and he never published. When he started speaking, he never put his thoughts into words. So he wouldn't even get tenure anymore at a Catholic university. The boy wasn't no, productive. No, he wasn't.
Hey, Adrian, you've gone strangely silent on us here. Uh, uh, what what do you have to say with regard to this conversation about modern Catholic education or the university in general? Oh, Adrian froze again. Just when I asked my question, I don't know if he heard me. Is he coming back? Yeah, but. Uh oh. Well, Adrian, I don't know, but your your audio has gone crazy again. Oh, and he's gone. And here he comes. <laughs> this is for those of you who are just listening to this and uh, the, with the YouTube video would show that Adrian has disappeared yeah. and is now. Oh, OK, are you back? No. In well, spirit that's yeah, his spirit is is here, but uh, his flesh is not. University go ahead, with, with, Connor. I think there's an important point to be made. So with these the crisis coming, with this paradigm is shown to fail, unfortunately, we'll have to live through the car crashes. Hello? And, hello? Sorry, okay. friends. Yes. Uh, am I back? Yes, you are. Yeah, Your so, sound so, is no, back. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to, yeah, I think Connor's sort of opening statement about the state of the university today was was outstanding and sort of right in every detail. So I, I would just uh, kind of underscore that. And then, you know, things that both you and uh, and and Rodney have said, I, I was actually still kind of stuck in the earlier part of the discussion. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I kind of, I don't have that luxury as the host. I have to connect dots right. and move things along. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I've been a guest on certain podcasts where I'm, I've lost track of the conversation because I'm still thinking of something I said 20 minutes ago. Yeah, this, and then I, really then I get, I get, I get called out. <laughs> I feel like I'm a fool. But anyway, uh, that's Don't fine. That's fine. You know, there was this guy named Socrates one time who was found on the porch, you know, when the symposium was going on, still thinking about a conversation he was having on. The way yeah. So that's uh, not a bad yeah. place. But anyway, uh, uh, we lost Adrian. Well, I, I don't know if Adrian is still here or not. But anyway, uh, Connor, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 I think, first of all, when, when we realize the paradigm of the fear of everything, for example, and the one the one ring to rule them all, uh, and this, we have to, when we're disabused of this, or this is dis disclosed as fantasy, as a chimera, as a complete, there's no reality to it. And that actually the sciences are not hard sciences versus soft sciences versus humanities, but all pro, we're all proto-arts. When, when Shakespeare writes King Lear, he's trying to write literature. When when trying to give an account of the human condition, trying to, you know, when someone composes a, you know, it's Bach composer, he's trying to, he's pursuing something. And, and when a physicist is doing something, they're also proto-artists. They're trying to engage with reality of existence and give an account of it as best and with as much fidelity as possible. These, they're all arts. Yeah. They're all arts. That's all, yes. to better and degrees. And it's better that if they faced up to that, there is no calibration. There is no objectivity does not look like that. That doesn't exist. It never has. And it certainly never will. So when the universities, you know, wake up to that notion and the notion that all disciplines, any discipline cannot be put into silos. They are always, always, always uh, mutually informing, dependent. Uh, right. And so just like uh, Walker was saying in more abstract terms or more metaphysical terms between the receptacle and form and matter and so forth, every subject swaps places there. So think of a discipline, right? right? Is the discipline acting like form or, or is it acting like the matter? So, for example, 
physics, Mars will be almost like the matter for physics. It has to be presumed for physics to operate. Yeah. So biology, you know, it will have to, we've been woven through with lots of disciplines, Aristotle subalternation. Yeah. So you have all, all these disciplines which seem to have the appearance of being autonomous or woven through with different right. forms of dependency. Yeah. Not only that all disciplines are, are, are every science, for example, entails, funny enough, a scientist who goes to the toilet in the morning, who has to eat, has to sleep, has a circadian clock, has a metabolism, uh, has desires, has hopes, has depression, right. has, you know, night and day, all this stuff. They themselves, so any discipline is an art form, is an art form completely. Yeah. All sciences, all arts, all sciencia is woven through with dependence elsewhere. I mean, I don't know, right. does physics think that mathematics is made of strings? I don't think so. So right. it, it but they have to employ mathematics to understand strings. This is why Plato um, so cleverly, because um, we mentioned mathematics last time, it's so weirdly, when he sets up his curriculum, he has them doing maths for 10 years before they go off to the army. 10 years. And people say, well, why is Plato doing this? And people thought, it must be because it makes you a good thinker and so forth. And they, no, no, Plato is pushing you through the phenomenal mathematics, so you're prepared not for being a better thinker, but actually prepared because you're bumping up against the, the motion of, of mathematics, of, of, of enacting a proof. You're, you're preparing yourself for the, for the principles of metaphysics later on. So it's training you not to be uh, yeah. uh, like you juggle balls and sort of just a technical thing. It's actually the mind becoming predisposed to even higher principles. So that's why it's a necessary stage for Plato, one of 10 years of education. Uh, but that's just because all subjects, that's the universe doing the university. And that can, it's organic. It's a body. It's a kidney, the, uh, um, the liver, the heart, the eyeballs, the earlobes. It's all one body. Yeah. And limbs are doing different things. But yeah. as we said last time, you cut off a limb. Make it be, a, it ain't no more, it isn't a long arm any longer. If physics tries to be standalone, it'd look like a clown. It won't look like a superhero. Yeah. yeah it'll just look like a clown. And unfortunately, before it sobers up and comes back to some sapient, kind of wise appropriation, and people actually get chutzpah, actually guts again. I mean, if love it drives out fear, the Catholic universities have been so driven by fear, there's hardly any love of God left. Right. And right. the even notion that reading itself, reading a menu, is not a theological act. If they haven't grasped that, the writing of a book and the reading of a book are acts of liturgy, of metaphysical theology. If they haven't got that sense of wonderment, which is absolutely, there is nowhere outside that wonderment. This is why this epistemological notion that you get in the left bankers, the, the philosophers of the, the Lacanian real. Have you heard of Lacanian real, the real, the slime behind? The barrier, you know, it'll spill over and umheimlich, the uncanny and so forth. That's simply an epistemological notion. It's rubbish. It's something you can't see beyond those categories. But I said before, the bumblebee probably can. There ain't no real. There is nothing outside of divine wonderment or economy. There is no even corporate or or the mere. There is no mere. What you do to the least, the least you do to me. And I think that's for all of creation. Right. Nothing is outside the divine economy. And that, yeah. therefore, the Catholic University should be saying, if you're studying geology, mate, you're going to a form of church. So don't right. stick that in the geology department and judge people by the metrics of them just going to mass. I'm not saying they shouldn't go to mass. Well done, Adrian, this morning. But uh, but it, it's not that at all. But they think that's us being Catholic. 
Why is the reason we go to masses? Why do we go and study geology? Yeah, yeah. Or we go and study, you know, sociology. Yeah. Or we go and study this. Yeah, that, and that uh, has to be a generative program has to be generative from the insight. As soon as the first axiom is creation, and the second axiom is incarnation, uh, I'm it's glad the you unite first. We're running, sort of running out of time. Rodney has to go soon, but uh, I'm glad you brought all of this up, Adrian, because one of the things that was knocking around in, I mean, uh, Connor, one of the things that was knocking around in my head was, you know, uh, I was thinking of, I just recently reread Balthazar's Theologic 1 and 2, and and the the, 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 the his juxtaposition, it's very Joanine, of grace and truth, of, of, of the cruciform Christ as the metric of truth. And, and this is rattling around in my head that, I mean, do our Catholic universities unify our thinking, unify the disciplines with that metric for truth in mind? And they most certainly do not. Um, it's, this raises the question to me before we have to, uh, uh, I mean, you, can, you can comment on that all you want. Uh, I'd also like to comment then uh, with maybe the 10 minutes we have left with whether I mean, where do we go? I mean, have universities as as a model run their course? Should uh, we as as believers be looking to different ways of of institutionalizing learning and education? Uh, then is this model more abundant? Is it dead in the water? I just toss that out there. I, I prefer. Growing up a Belfast Protestant, I'm sort of allergic to Reform the Reformation. So um, I think it's better to reform from within. I think someone in an institution which is already there, I would honor my sisters and brothers back a thousand years ago invented this stuff, who are already echoing the Academy of Plato. I, I want to honor that. I want to be handed over for what they did bravely and with vision. And so it's about resuscitating uh, from within. And so it just takes a few brave souls out there to actually let love enough love to drive out fear. I mean, the ghettoizing theology, get ashamed of the religion, ashamed of theology, uh, 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 the demeaning and, and denigration of it. It just needs a few brave souls to say, right, let's resuscitate this, uh, and then it will grow, because this is going to be exposed. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people will die, and marriages will break up, and substance abuse, and, and depressions, <laughs> and so forth. And yeah. what I'm saying, I think we're sending a bunch of students out there who are not going to maintain a relationship, not going to maintain a job, not going to attain any any sense of loyalty, of long-term thinking, of, of, of the long game. And we are we are on a sugar diet, a sugar rush diet of endless novelty, which amounts to just candy floss brains, TikTok brains. And how can you maintain relationships with that, whether it be with you know, marriages or or jobs or vocations? or anything if we have a TikTok brain the fast sugar brain and then because of we know we're on sand we get false gods of false calibration with false metrics here's our outputs and back to the jesus joke you know if you don't publish your parish in academia christ doesn't get tenure i mean it's rubbish uh, rather than people let people produce writing of real worth which has legs we mcdonaldsize right. it ask, publish it with, with false vanities, with false thirst for novelties, rather than any wise gestation that produces work that actually can engage with God's creation. Well, then we've inserted yeah. where we began, which is the question of crisis as uh, something good. Uh, if we're going to reform from within, then maybe this entire thing, as you've described, this TikTok mind, because it can't sustain relationships, it can't sustain the truth. It Maybe it's on the verge of some kind of either 
cathartic, some sort of collapse or catharsis or, you know, ch- uh, crisis oriented change. I don't know. It, uh, Adrian, do you want to say something to all of that and then up to Rodney and then maybe we should wrap up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, the current iteration of the university system could collapse overnight, but that doesn't necessarily mean the end of the ideal or of the tradition right. sustains it. So I think I think Connor's point is is well taken. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 point about interconnection, which which that Connor was uh, making a few minutes ago, is really important, and it 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 is really important to also to see, um, as he was saying, the the kind of analogy between um, the interconnection that bodies themselves are, you know, and uh, the interconnectedness of um, disciplines that study bodies um, among themselves and with all other disciplines. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just, I think uh, that that the interconnected, the interconnection um, that that bodies are. I mean, including inanimate bodies. I mean, um, you know, uh, is um, has to be sort of in order to understand it. One really does need to think in these classical terms. You know, act and potency, or the receptacle, yeah. and so forth. Um, and uh, because it, it, this is just the, the the thought that that I, I was kind of playing with a few minutes ago when you asked, you know, um, how come you're so silent? <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, it's um, I, I, what are you sick or something? Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, that, you know, because because the the thing is, you know, the 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 um. Yeah, matter, you know, matter is not by itself an underlying thing, but it's sort of that, I mean, among other sort of functions, it's that by which the bodies that, you know, we experience in this world underlie, but their underlying is a receiving, an ongoing receiving and an ongoing being actualized. And um, within that ongoing being receiving and and being actualized, um, uh, there are um, parts, dimensions, and so forth uh, that are being mobilized and 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 also um, being actualized because they're, precisely dimensions and parts of this, this ongoing receiving, right? Um, and uh, it's all very dynamic, um, n- not right. only in terms of the relationship of these parts and dimensions and so forth to the whole, but also amongst themselves, right? There's an interconnection. And it seems to me that that part of the that that one of the the kind of sins of the myth of the myth of the base uh 
is is a sin against interconnectedness, right? Because it it's it's about um, artificially separating something that, in some sense, is really there, but not in that way, right? And yeah. and in a way, even even the artificial separation itself is not necessarily wrong, but uh, it needs to be accompanied by an understanding of yes an artificial nature, so that it can become uh, a kind of conscious um, proto-artistic activity of the sort that Connor was talking about. So this is all just a long way of saying that um, I, I think Connor is really onto something that uh, how we think about bodies, whether we see them as sort of dynamic interconnectednesses um, it hangs together with how we think of the sciences that study bodies not only in themselves and not only in their but also in their in their relation to one another and in their relation to all other disciplines and the issue is going to be do we do we affirm an interconnectedness in which you know each element um, is sort of fully itself, fully present because it's interconnected and because uh, there's a constant sort of exchange, a constant switching. Uh, like a mutual Connor realization. Was not just yeah. interconnected, mutual realization. It's a mutual realization, right. I mean, look, all of these words are inadequate, right? And you can always, you can always, you can always sort of... Um, criticize them in a second moment because they're they you know you could under you could you can misunderstand them but of course it's not i mean it's a it's a it's a dynamically unfolding coherence if you want to put it like that right that's such, a great way to that, put it you know each one itself to the extent that it's it's exchanging and communion with the other vice versa etc 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 right we could spend a lot of time unfolding that but i just think that 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 I, i'm just i just want to affirm the 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 vision of you know uh the 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 you know how we think about um what it is that we're looking for in you know sciences concerning bodies just is you know what we think we're going to be looking for in an educational institution and vice versa Right, I think that's a really important insight. Yeah, yeah. Can I just uh, one, one quick point. Um, the way we say things, I, you can always qualify. Agents right though. Right. Although I do think your last uh, description was great. Really loved it. But it's it, it is. But sometimes the way we say things differently does change. Help us change the way we way we think. For does. example, course I remember the first day I, first day I read Aquinas saying, "Well, because we're all brought up in our Cartesian way of thinking, right? Culturally, right. when he says right. actually no." The soul's not in the body. The body is in the sure. soul. That's sure. a game changer for our imagination. Of course. So we have to think of the university in the universe in a way. And also, you know, so rather than being the university being reduced to physics, it's it's all about around. We have to think of, the, again, the body. The organ is in the body. The body is in Absolutely. the soul. Absolutely. Because it's the verb of metaphysics that keeps it from hemorrhaging. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And and, it, and it, it's going to be both things, right? It's going to be that there's a kind of 
a priori unity of the whole and end of communion as a kind of form of being. And at the same time, it is, I mean, this is back to your point about a reduction and emergence, right? At the same time, the communion is going to be sort of established a posteriori by something that is going to look like, uh, you know, not only an interplay, but even to some extent an, inter an interaction, right? Um, it's going to be both things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I would, um, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, and, and I know Rodney's got to go, so we got to wrap this up. But in the 1990s, there was a great book written by uh, James Birchall called The Dying of the Light. Uh, I did a review for it in the Thomist. Uh, David L. Schindler gave a talk on it at a conference that I ran. It's where I first met Rodney and you, Adrian, uh, yeah. in Allentown. And anyway, the book it was, it's brilliant in the sense that what it was was a, di a historical dissection of precisely how uh, I think it was like 30 different religiously affiliated universities in the United States, mostly Protestant, but quite a few Catholics, went about the process of dismantling the very vision of what a university should be that you two have been describing. At, at all, he detailed all of the incremental historical steps of what I think Connor would call the Californiaization of, of modern, uh, modern right. higher education to the point oh, then where they then all begin to look alike Every single one of them loses their religious identity and the very definition of what it means to be a Christian then comes to be instead of the university being in as kind of would say in the Christian faith, the Christian faith comes now to be viewed as this tiny little speck inside this modern yes, thing sir. called the university. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if the book is still in print, but it's a great book. Yeah, you know, I, I have to. Okay, you know, no, sorry. Well, I was just no. going to say, and and there just is kind of Catholic, you know, intellectual inferiority complex. You know, so I mean, I've noticed that in several different areas. I mean, it's it's really a recurrent pattern that the sort of you know mainstream. I mean, that that Catholic sort of academics um, will be very, 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 very eager to show that they support what turns out to have been the mainstream consensus about 10 years ago. <laughs> right. right. And, and it's yeah. always in the yeah. background. It's like, you know, yeah. we're never going to, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're never really going to live down the Galileo affair. So we have to kind of show that, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're saying uh, we're, we're never really going to live down right. Pius yeah. the ninth, you know, that's like my, these, my, these Catholics yeah. go, sorry, these Catholics go, no, listen, we're really behind support of the idea of setting up the large hydrogen collider. We want to exactly. have to precisely. Have Exactly. Oh, it's happened and it's been gone. Right. Exactly. That, that that's always the way it is, and it's it's like the there, there are certain debates. Uh, there are a lot of debates like this, right? Where where, um, and and one of one of the symptoms is, um, that the Catholics will engage with a very 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 sort of sanitized version of, um, uh whatever it is, whether it's science or, or, you know, a current version of sexual politics or whatever it is. Whereas 
as you say, right, the, the, the people that are sort of farthest ahead in, in, in any of these debates uh, are already seeing that the game has changed. The ground has shifted. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so I, I do totally agree with the, the point about, you know, the gestalt shift. I mean, um, well, you know, my, I agree. My, I want to. I want to dwell. Adrian, the only reason while, that I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to dwell on the idea that I'm we're. Done. Go ahead. The, the 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 Catholics are like ten years, twenty years behind. That when I was in Rome in June, there was the Vatican had organized this thing called the 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 universal meeting of fraternity or something or other. And it was all based on Fratelli Tutti. And I mean, the, the Via della Conciliazione, they had decked it all out, expecting these huge crowds and all these singers and so on. I literally, I think 50 people showed up the entire day. It was a huge flop. And the reason is, as my friend Mark Stallman points out, he says the, the problem is the Catholic Church is just now discovering globalism when the rest of the world has realized globalism is dead. Sick of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sick of right. it, and that it's dead. Or at least it's sick of it, right? Yeah. Larry, back to your point, or it was it your point, Rodney? Uh, I actually think what's really strange in the crises that we're in, the variety of crises, the Catholic Church and Catholic education are in. This is what's brilliant. I mean, I mean, brilliant in an ironic sense. It's in the position to bring back the common, to reveal again the common sense, to reveal back people with souls. I mean, these Catholics are trying to be trendy. I mean. Education as it is, I don't know how we're going to spot AI programs because we're already doing them. The, the, <laughs> right. the, the, it's ridiculous. Totally. Who's going to really spot Dante yeah. and Shakespeare or proper physics or proper yeah. maths or proper – because we're already so automatons. And I just think – but I do think that the Catholic Church and Catholic education, if it would just have a sense of belief in itself right. and be forthright, right. be a child, yeah. be childish yeah. growing up. Would take off. It would yes. kick off. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, th this just goes back to something. I, I mean, you know, I, I've, I mean, since meeting Connor and kind of being in dialogue with him over the years, I mean, I, I realized that, I mean, one of the many things that he, he's helped me see more clearly, I mean, you know, and this is, of course, is something that, you know, having hung out a lot with, with, Dave Schindler was was sort of there, but I mean, it's just Connor helped bring it into focus for me. Is that it, it's really a question of like, no, the burden of proof is not where people think it is, you know, um, and you know that, and and that that sounds like a a, a kind of um, that sounds facile. Um, it's simple, but it's not facile because it is connected. With, it's connected precisely with uh this a whole series of of sort of yeah inter interconnected gestalt shifts right where you know you you suddenly realize that the things that seem uh most marginal be because they they've sociologically become the most marginal are actually the things that the things without which you can't make sense of anything else Right. Yes. I mean, yes. You know, Go so right. it's, gonna, it's just like, you know, I, I remember you, you always saying, you know, the atheist can't give an account of why they have breakfast in the morning and why they don't eat their children. You know, even better, as I said, it said to the group once, if atheism <laughs> is true, there are no atheists. Exactly. Exactly. 
That's a simple, exactly. logical, consistent conclusion. Exactly. If atheism is exactly. true, there are no atheists. But exactly. the thing is, we are going to spend our lives working really hard to arrive at the faith of the washerwoman. Precisely. The washerwoman, maybe that's an Irish phrase, you don't know it. Uh, and then you know the faith of the washerwoman, yeah? Yeah, yeah sure. America, yeah. So, because she's right. She, she's right. 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 And that's what we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But yes. she would be in that washerwoman would be fearless and wouldn't have the insecurity of trying to be posh and educated. I mean, I, I mean, one should be so educated that one becomes a child again, right. not, the, not the childishness of the so-called grown-ups who try to be collaborative with the, with the moment of the world. Because the moment of the world, at the time you hold on to it, is already old-fashioned. It's already crap. It's already been exposed. Yeah. That's right. As, yeah. So All right, then why don't we uh why don't we end there? We really should we really have to end here. I have to go, Rodney has to go. Uh so we'll end with okay. unless you become like this child, unless you become like a child, uh like faith of washerwoman. Yeah, <laughs> faith of washerwoman. Uh so I know yeah, Rodney's gotta go. I gotta go. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This I, I could talk for hours to you guys, hours and hours. Connor, Adrian, especially, thank you so very much. Maybe we'd have to have a part three down the road. Uh, I'm certainly open to an ongoing series of conversations. So anyway, thanks a lot, guys. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, fellas. Yeah. Bye. God bless. Bye.